You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. Today is a continuation of the season review series of each Marlins player, and today's player is Jesus Aguilar, who had a great year for the Fish, an integral part of their offensive success. He was viewed at by the Marlins front office as a big-time bounce-back candidate after an all-star 2018, then a down 2019 where he played for two different teams. But ultimately, we knew how capable he was at the plate. The Marlins front office knew how capable he was at the plate, and it seemed like he was just a tweak away from really getting back to that 2018 form where he was just absolutely spectacular and maybe one of the most consistent power hitters in the game that year, which is pretty crazy to say. He comes back this season, though it was abbreviated, I think he would have, on a 162-game scale, been up there in that top 10% of the league in production because he hit those eight home runs in a small sample size this year. The 277, 352, 457 slash line was very solid, and the 34 driven in, basically on pace for 100 runs driven in on a full season scale, 121 WRC plus, and he got back to doing what he does best, which is hunting fastballs. When I was looking at the differences between 2019 and 2020 and the similarities between 2020 and 2018, his all-star season, you can see why Aguilar bounced back this year. Also, there were some tangible adjustments, which point towards him actually having sustainable success moving forward. Because remember, this is something I talk about a lot on Locked On MLB Prospects, but also with with this Marlins show and just with players in general, is if a player has a bounce back where or a breakthrough, so to speak, when they are able to start seeing the ball better at the plate or like they did before, I want to see why that is, right? If, if it's just a coincidence, right, and then you look at a high BABIP and there's no tangible adjustment and there's no visible adjustment in their approach based on pitch selection or you know batted ball data, whatever it is, then I'm going to be a little bit more skeptical as to whether that improvement is sustainable and for real. With Aguilar, all of the indications point towards it being sustainable and back towards that 2018 form because he's always been a fastball hunter and that's what he got away from in 2019 and it's what he got back to in this season, a 307 average against the fastball, which is great compared to the 253 average he had against the fastball in 2019. Also matched his home run total against the heater in this shortened season in 70 less plate appearances. Had six home runs off a of fastball this year. Same amount in 2019, but in a lot more plate appearances. And I would say the big change that I saw, as I apologize for the little ring on my phone in the background there, the big change that I saw was the shortening up of his stride and quieting things down, right? He's a big body. And a guy like that, similar to when we talk about Monte Harrison, the big, strong guys, they don't need to do much to generate. It seems like, especially this year, when Aguilar hit home runs, he was just almost flicking the ball over the wall. And that's why with, with the big, strong guys, I want them to be as quiet as possible because they don't need to generate any power. 
they don't need to do anything extra. They're going to do that naturally. And Aguilar did a great job of that this year because the more movement you have, the harder it is to time things up, which I've said probably ad nauseum for you listening. But with guys like Aguilar, it's just even more emphatic because you really don't need it as much. If you've got a five foot six guy like Altuve, he's got to get that leg kick going to generate something. And he's able to do that because he's shorter, his swing's shorter, and he's he's able to time things up easier. For Aguilar, a big guy, it's it's a lot more of a process to get to the spot of slotting in your load and getting the bat slotted ready to go and then getting it through the zone. So make that as efficient and short as possible. That's exactly what he did this year when he quieted things down. And you can see the difference in video from 2019 to 2020. And when he did that, it allowed him to hit the inside pitch much better. And the inside pitch as a hitter, you're thinking basically just get it out of there. Meaning you don't really think too much about hitting the inside pitch. It's reactionary. While a lot of guys are working away, away, away and working on that in the cage, the inside pitch, you just drop the head on it. Like you are reacting and getting it out of there. If you have good hands and Aguilar has spectacular hands at the plate, we we see it with the way he's able to just throw his hands at a ball and spoil it or throw his hands at the ball and shoot it the other way. Now when he's able to just react on the inside pitches and just Put his body in a good spot where he could just drop the barrel on it and hit it out of there. You could see how much easier the power was to generate for him. And at the same time, if the ball is middle away, his body was in a better place where even if he's fooled, he could throw his hands at it, throw the bat at it, and drive it the other way. We saw him do that a ton, especially with two strikes. And the batted ball data with the inside pitch is very similar to how it was with the fastball. And think about this too. He's a fastball hunter, which... Obviously, it's a pitch that you got to time up and it's coming on onto you quickly. If you allow your hands to just do the work when you got the quick hands that Aguilar has, you're going to hit the fastball better. If you let your body get in the way of those hands, you're not going to hit it as well. And that's why we saw a 54-point boost in his average against fastballs. And we saw him match the home run total in 70-less plate appearances. That's the kind of things that you would see an instant improvement in from, from a guy that shortens up and simplifies his timing mechanism and his lead up to his swing. I know he still likes to lean out over the plate a little bit, but his body's in a better spot to be able to handle the inside pitch when he does that a little bit. But I think he's also done a better job of staying centralized on those inside pitches. And so this year, on those pitches middle in, he was much, much more effective. Five home runs on the inner third of the plate in 2020, which as we've mentioned, 2020 was less at-bats, right? In 2019, only one home run on the inner third of the plate in many more at-bats. So a huge difference there, five home runs to one home run on the inner third. And also looking at barrels, right? Seven barrels on the inner third in 2019, doubles that to 14 barrels on the inner third in 2020. So just able to hit that pitch so much better. And I think it all translates, it all correlates, right? The fastball is going to tend to be middle in, and that's where they're going to try to bust it in on a guy like Aguilar, who's bigger, who was perceived as a guy that could not catch up to the inside pitch in 2019. But now that he shortens up, he is able to destroy that pitch. And pitchers had to go to the off speed, specifically the changeup, which is what they went to more with him which in itself is a smart move, especially with how well he was hitting the fastball this year. And yeah, he got beat with the changeup on occasion, but once again, his he was so good with two strikes and so good with his hands even when he's fooled that he was able to spoil a lot of those changeups 
that were down or located well. And he started to get that confidence that I can spoil your best pitches until you have to give me a good one and I'm going to hit it. And we saw him do that time and time again. Whereas before, he was much more hesitant. I think he was laying off the fastball. He was afraid to chase the changeup. And if you're playing that guessing game between fastball and changeup, you are going to get caught looking at some fastballs when you're guessing changeup. That's why when 2019, when he struggled against the fastball, he also was swinging at it less. He swung at the fastball 4% less than he did in 2020. So not only did he not hit it as well, he didn't hit it as frequently and didn't even try to hit it as frequently because I think he was trying to be too careful, right? I don't want to chase the changeup. I think he's going to throw a changeup here. Oh crap, there's a fastball. It's already in the catcher's mitt. I can't spoil that pitch. Instead, now it's he seems like a guy that's sitting fastball and if the changeup comes all right, I can stay back and at least spoil it, maybe shoot it the other way, but I got the confidence to be able to adjust. And that's the big change we see we see in Aguilar's approach. And you can see it in the tape that you watch. I watched a few of the games this year where he struck out versus some of the games where he consistently got hits with two strikes. And that was what stood out to me the most. And then you look at his numbers against right-handed pitching. Again, that's going to be the, the type of pitcher that's going to try to bust him in, not the left-handers. Rarely is a left-hander going to try to bust a big right-hander inside unless they've got ridiculous run on the fast or cut on the fastball or just some good velocity on it. But he had the best OPS of his career against right-handed pitching besides 2018. A 752 OPS against right-handed pitching. He has not done that in several years, whereas in 2018, he was spectacular against, I don't care, whoever the pitcher was, he was going to have an OPS over 800, but he had an OPS in the 600s in 2019 against right-handed pitching, so a big jump there. He has always mashed lefties because of his ability to stay back on the ball. That's where he made his improvements this year, though, was against the right-handers, especially right-handers with change-ups, much like a Kyle Hendricks type like we saw in the postseason. So that is why Aguilar has improved immensely. I'm going to talk about how he fits into the future with the team in a second, but a reminder that this episode is brought to you by none other than Built Bar. As you know by now, 18 delicious flavors, six of them are new covered in chocolate, easy to chew. And if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code Locked On, you'll get 20% off your next order, a deal that has been up there for a while. They actually upped the ante. It was 10% for a little bit. Now they double it to 20. And the best part about Built Bar is they are high in protein. They are low in calories. They are low in fat, low in sugar, low in carbs, and just great for a keto diet or someone that's looking to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a delicious treat. So that's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off and a free cooler while supplies last. BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON. So for Aguilar, a great find for the Marlins because he's a unique type of candidate where the Marlins were able to get him in the, on a one-year deal but also have control over him until 2023. So he's arbitration eligible this year. The guess would be he's going to make something around the $4 million range, though everything is so hard to tell right now with how strange things are contract-wise, money-wise, and all that good stuff. Then he's under control for his third arbitration in 2022. So scratch that. He has two more years of control, 2021 and 2022, which is great for the Marlins because he's cheap and he is a great option offensively, though the DH plays a big factor in whether the Marlins are going to maintain Aguilar beyond next season, especially if Lewin Diaz is ready as well, because 
The thing is, is if the DH is not available, if they're not going to have a DH in the National League, then Aguilar kind of becomes positionless for the fish and becomes a candidate to go to the American League. If Luan Diaz is a solid offensive player, and even just near what Aguilar is production-wise, though I think he has the potential to be better, right now Aguilar is obviously far and away the better offensive player with his just know-how and his experience and what he did last year. But right now... I think Lewin Diaz is so much better defensively at first base. While you can say that defense at first base is not entirely important, I get that. But with how much the Marlins shift, Lewin Diaz moves really well. You can put him in the shallow right field grass if you need to, if you want to get creative with shifting. You can do a lot of different things. But the thing with the Marlins is they like to move around and defense matters no matter where the spot is. We see how much they care about it behind the plate too. They were willing to start Chad Wallach in every playoff game. I'm not going to say that defense is going to be a deciding factor in a position like first base. It's a premium offensive position, but Lewin Diaz is a good hitter as well. I'm just talking about the fact that if it's a tiebreaker, you're going advantage Lewin because he is far and away the better defender. So the Marlins want to put Lewin at first, and this, the assumption is that he's going to be ready to go next year. They, they look like a platoon right now because... Aguilar doesn't hit right-handed pitching quite as well as he should, right? The 752 OPS last year was better, but you would hope that Luan Diaz would have an OPS over 800 once he gets going against right-handed pitching. We know he's going to struggle at times against left-handed pitching. A platoon type of situation there for next year seems like a great move. Depending on the DH, that's also very, very handy next year, even if they don't plan on expanding it beyond next year. If they have it for next year, it would be great because of the fact that the Marlins can go with Aguilar and Lewin in a platoon first base slash DH type of scenario. And that would be really beneficial to the ball club and gives them some versatility at first base and some lineup versatility as well, where I think things would be very, very solid for them. Evan Edwards, another first base prospect to look out for. I like the way he hits, but he's another left-handed bat. So it'll be interesting to see how quick he climbs. He's not going to be ready by next year, but he should start to climb pretty quickly. And where does he go in? Maybe a good plan B if Luan Diaz struggles, because then you can just hold on to Aguilar for 2022, and you would hope somebody like Evan Edwards would be ready by 2023. The Marlins still have a lot to figure out with their roster, but what I would say for now, the idea of platooning Aguilar and Luan Diaz is a very interesting one for me at first base, and I like it. If there's a DH scenario, then it's even better. But if there isn't a DH, I'm okay with that platoon between Aguilar and Lewin to ease Lewin into the big leagues. Once we get to 2022, that's where a decision needs to be made. Because at that point, I think you're hoping that Lewin is an everyday player. I know when you're listening now, you're probably thinking, I want Lewin to be an everyday player next year. And there's a good chance he will be. But you can still ease him into those scenarios where instead of coming in like he did this year, where he had to face some really tough lefties right out of the gate, he can be protected and have a veteran hitter like Jesus Aguilar against those tougher lefties to split things up and set him up for success, much like the Marlins did with Lewis Brinson this year, though I think it would be a little bit more consistent for Diaz because they were protecting Brinson from righties, which you're going to see a lot more, whereas Diaz would be protected against lefties. Though, it could be a riding the hot hand type of thing as well. Of course, again, the DH is going to be a massive factor in it. But the Marlins have a spot for Aguilar, no doubt, next year. 2022 will remain to be seen. But the thing is, 
he ends up being a pretty valuable piece to them trade-wise too. If the Marlins end up deciding they don't need Aguilar because Lewin Diaz is mashing left-handers and right-handers, then they can look to trade him. He's cheap, which is obviously going to be important in the game right now with the financial situation, and he would have the year of control next year. If they decide to trade him midseason this year, that would be a huge factor in value. But even if they go to trade him in 2022, the expiring cheap contract would make him somewhat of an asset as well given that he's an unrestricted free agent in 2023. So if he continues to hit this way, it's a win-win for the Marlins, right? They, they don't, I don't think they're going to be blocking Lewin Diaz, right? If he is doing well in Aguilar and the Marlins are making a run, then you figure it out from there. Maybe you keep trying Lewin in a corner outfield spot. I'm not saying that that's totally over. Like we're not, we're not closing the book on that yet. I think there's a chance that Lewin could do that, especially if some of the Marlins outfield prospects struggle. If the Marlins can hit, I think you should find a spot for him. But that's the thing, is he turns out to be a valuable trade chip, worst case scenario, or best case scenario. That's the great thing about it. I think any way you look at it, it's a good scenario. If Lewin hits well and Aguilar is also hitting well, you got a good trade chip. If Lewin is struggling, then you got Aguilar for two more years. If Aguilar's struggling, you've got Lewin to plug in and replace him with, and maybe you can still flip Aguilar for something, or you can just have him in a much more limited platoon role. The only bad scenario is both of them struggle, but that's going to be a bad scenario no matter what. If everybody struggles, you're in trouble. So I think the Marlins are in a great spot at first base, and it's definitely something to be very confident about moving into next year. I hope you enjoyed this episode as this series continues where I will review virtually every Marlins player. Of course, I'm starting with the good ones. I'm going to have to mix in some of the guys that had tough seasons as well, but overall, it is a ton of fun going through all of these guys. Hope you enjoyed it, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.